0: Our scripture reading this morning comes uh, in Mark 834 to 38. And, the call, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you, Stan. James Howells has been combing a landfill for the past nine years in the city of Wales. How come? Because back in 2013. He threw away an old PC hard drive and didn't realize that inside his hard drive was a digital wallet containing 7,500 Bitcoin, which is now worth around $300 million. And so for the past nine years, he had permission from the city alone to comb through mounds of trash looking for his needle in the haystack. A couple months ago, when Russia began its assault on Ukraine, Vitaly Shakun, a battalion engineer of the Ukrainian army, volunteered to undertake a mission to destroy a bridge near Kiev before Russian forces could cross it. He managed to successfully wire the bridge with explosives, but due to the oncoming army, he didn't have enough time to flee the blast zone. He detonated the explosives anyways, giving his life, but successfully destroying the bridge. In 1988, Li Jingzhi had a two year old son who was kidnapped. While he was waiting to get a drink at a water fountain, he was her only child. And for the next 30 years, she spent all of her energy, finances, and time looking for her son. At first, she printed out 100,000 flyers and handed them out at various railways and bus stops. She eventually started networking with others, which led to over 300 leads. And so most weekends, she would follow up on these leads, leading her to various towns, neighborhoods, hotels, all over China. After 19 years of searching... She eventually launched a volunteer website called Baby Come Home, which successfully reunited 29 children with their parents. Unfortunately, none were her home. That is until 2020. On May 10th, she got a call from the Public Security Bureau informing her that after 32 years of searching, they have finally found her son and the reunion video is beautiful. Now what do all these stories have in common? What is the common thread? Well, in all of these stories, someone is searching for something of great value. So valuable is this objective, they risk everything to secure it, to find it. Though their actions may be viewed as extreme by the world, to them their sacrifice is worth it because in their minds what they would gain is far better than anything they would lose. And that, dear friends, is the ultimate theme of our passage this morning as God asks us, is there something in your life worth living for? Is there something in your life worth dying for? Is there a cause, a purpose, a person that you are willing to lose everything for? In our passage this morning, Jesus makes a radical statement He says in verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here, Jesus outlines for us what it means to be one of his disciples, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It requires nothing less than denying yourself, taking up a cross, and following him. Now, I don't know if we truly appreciate the extremeness and the the shockness of Jesus' words. Today, the cross is often a symbol of beauty, hope, and love. We wear it uh, around our necks as jewelry. Back when I was a student at UCSD, I would often invite my out-of-town friends to the top of Mount Soledad, where at the top of Mount Soledad stood this huge, beautiful cross, 29 feet tall, 12 feet wide. And whenever I brought my friends there and we would get out of the car, they would gasp at the sight, this place is amazing, Jeff. Jeff as you have a view of the ocean and La Jolla and you see this pristine cross hovering over you. But can you imagine what my friends would say or think if I took them to the top of Mount Soledad and before them stood a 29 feet tall electric chair or a 29 feet tall guillotine? They'd say to themselves... Why'd you bring us here? This is gross. This is morbid. Who would glorify something so deadly? And such was the impact of Jesus' words. When he says, take up your cross, everyone immediately had in mind the Roman method of execution. The words, take up your cross, conjured up images of a condemned man on his last death march as he carries the crossbeam on his back and goes up a hill flanked by crowds jeering at him and mocking him. And yet, Jesus takes this instrument of torture. And says, if you want to be one of my disciples, get ready to pick one of these things up. That's the mark of a disciple. One thing is for sure, Jesus can never be accused of being a man pleaser or a fame monger. If he had a PR team, they would have freaked out at these words. Because Jesus' words are so radical and extreme, we might be tempted to wiggle ourselves out of here. We might think in our minds, surely Jesus can't be talking about every single Christian. He must be addressing the spiritual elite, the green berets of the church. He can't be possibly be talking to me. But such an interpretation doesn't work. Notice what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 34. It says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. Jesus specifically calls out to the crowds and says, I want you to come here because what I'm about to say applies to you too. Not just the apostles, but you. Anyone who wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross. And so Jesus makes crystal clear that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, means more than simply being an admirer of Jesus or a student of Jesus. To be a follower means that we have to follow him. If I were to tell you, I want everyone to follow me right now and I proceed to go behind the backstage, what would you have to do? You'd have to get up out of your chair and go follow me. To be a disciple of Jesus means you have to leave where you are and go where he is. You can't follow Jesus while being stationary, while being passive. It requires a whole soul movement towards wherever he is. And sometimes that movement requires denying yourself, saying no to yourself, even dying to yourself. This message of discipleship is one that we need to hear because if we don't, church, we're going to allow the world's message of self-indulgence and self-fulfillment drown out our faith. In fact, if we're not careful, we can succumb to the temptation of allowing the, the, the American dream to mingle with the call of Christianity. David Platt writes this in his book Radical. He writes, quote, We must resist the temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version we are more comfortable with, a nice, middle-class, American Jesus, a Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have, a Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts, a Jesus who wants to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether." a Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. If we're not careful, we end up making Jesus into our own image. We tame him, we domesticate him, and we lose our faith. We eventually follow a Jesus whose only interest for us is to comfort us and encourage us, but never challenge us or change us. We end up with a Jesus whose sole mission in our lives is to deliver a life of ease. Now why is it that we as American Christians have such a hard time with Jesus' command. Why is it that we struggle to, to deny ourselves and pick up our cross? Now, some people might say, well, it's because as, as Americans, we're, we're comfortable. And because we're comfortable, we don't like suffering. We're, we're suffering averse. And so the moment Jesus says to step, up, step out of our comfort zone, we want to push back and say, No. But the more I thought about that, the more I didn't feel like that was the reason. You see, when I look out in this room, I see a lot of people who are really disciplined, who have no problem denying themselves, and who are willing to suffer. For example, how many of us work out regularly? How many of us are willing to punish our bodies, to run until we want to throw up, to lift weights until our muscles ache? We deny the comforts of our bodies. Why? So that we might look good. How many of us here watch what we eat, are very careful about our diets? We refuse to eat tasty, fatty, greasy foods, even though every ounce of our body says, oh, I wish I could eat that hamburger. But we say no. Why? So that we might be healthy. How many of us here have demanding jobs? Jobs that are much more demanding than the average U.S. job. We're working way more than 40 hours a week. We, we work in tense, stressful situations and we're willing to sacrifice weekends and time and weeknights. Why? For a paycheck. And so when I look out in this room, I see people who are willing to deny themselves, who are willing to sacrifice. And so why is it that as Christians, we struggle to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? It's not because we're suffering averse. When it comes down to it, it's because we don't believe Jesus is worth it. When it comes down to it, ultimately, we don't think It's worth it. The cost is too high, and it outweighs the benefits. And so Jesus, for the rest of this passage, seeing that this is the issue of his value, his worthiness, goes on to help us understand why following him is worth it. Let me read verses 35 through 37. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Let's sit on this a bit. What Jesus says here can be boiled down to two points. If you build your life on this world, it leads to death. If you build your life on me, it leads to life. Tim Keller notes that the word for life here in the Greek is the word psyche, which is where we get the word psychology. And so what Jesus is referencing here by life is not our physical life, He's talking about our identity, our personhood. Jesus points out that if you build your identity, your personhood on the things of this world, it will lead to death. If you try to gain the whole world, it will be done in vain. For example... There are many in this world who build their identities on materialism. They believe, underlyingly, unconsciously or consciously, that the fancier car you drive, the bigger house you live in, the the more expensive clothes you wear, the more gizmos and gadgets and toys you surround yourself with, the better person you become. Life is like a video game, and you level up the more things you have. The world also says that one way to build your identity is through fame. The more followers you have on Instagram, the wider your influence and reach is in the workplace or in your field of work, the more books you publish, the more subscribers you have on your YouTube uh, video, the more influence you have, the better person you are. You've leveled up. And then if you come from an Eastern, more traditional culture... It's a little bit different. The way you build your identity is by going to a really good school. Education is really important. You level up if you go to a really well-known school. And then after you graduate school, you need to get married and marry a good spouse. And then once you get married, you need to have children. And then once you have children, you level up through your children's success. And so in Eastern traditional cultures, if you don't go to college, if you don't get married, if you don't have children, you're seen as somewhat incomplete. You're looked down upon. These are all different ways our world says you build your identity. And Jesus says, no matter how high you climb the corporate ladder, no matter how far wide your influence may be, no matter how amazing the school you graduated from or your spouse or your children might be, it's never going to be enough. It won't save you. But there is another way. There is another path. In verse 35, Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus says, you can choose the way of the world and try to gain the whole world, but here's another way. Build your life on me. Notice how he sneaks in the word gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the answer can be found in the context of our passage. If you were here two Sundays ago, you might remember what Jesus said immediately before these words. He said in verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. The gospel is the announcement, the declaration that Jesus came into this world to live, suffer, die, and rise from the dead so that all those who believe in him might have eternal life. The gospel declares that Jesus came to pay the debt of our sin so that we might receive the reward of his obedience. And so, notice what comes first the gospel comes first, and then discipleship. Jesus lives, dies, and rises from the dead first, and out of that prior reality, he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. The reason why I point this out is because this sequence is what differentiates Christianity from all the religions of this world. Because you see, this call for self-denial and sacrifice isn't unique to Christianity. You look at every other religion, it too has its own demands on its followers to deny yourself and sacrifice for God. Where in the month of Ramadan, I believe it just ended in Ramadan, people fast. So Christianity is not unique in its call for self-denial. But what makes Christianity unique is the sequence, because you see, in every world religion, the call to self-denial comes first. They ask you to deny yourself so that you might prove your worthiness before God suffer, take up your cross, do this, say no to the flesh. And if you do that well enough, then God will accept you. Then God will love you. Then you'll go to heaven. Then you'll experience nirvana. Then you'll be reincarnated to a better life. But if you want that reward, you better show your worth. But in Christianity, we don't prove our worth to God. He proves our worth to us. In Christianity, we don't prove our value to God. He proves our value to Him. Before Jesus entered the world, he knew what his mission required. He knew that in order to save us and redeem us, it required nothing less than for him to suffer, be rejected, carry a literal cross, and be crucified by Rome and bear the wrath of God for our sins. He knew the cost. And so he's weighing the cost. This is what I must experience and bear. This is what I'll gain. And he tells you and me, you are worth it. You are worth it. And he follows through. And so Christianity is different from religion. Religion says, are you worth it? Show me. What are you willing to do for me? If I'm convinced, then I'll bless you. Christianity is different. God looks at us and says, you are worth it. You are worth dying for. You are worth suffering for. I will place my love upon you. And so in Christianity, we obey not to secure God's love. We obey because we already have God's love. We follow Jesus because he first pursued us to the very end. Now, having said that, Jesus' words here to deny ourselves and pick up the cross is a healthy reminder for us that we are not the goal of the gospel. The church is not the objective of the gospel. Our redemption, our forgiveness, adoption, justification, glorification is penultimate, not ultimate. The ultimate goal is laid out in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, where Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. In this section of Ephesians, Paul outlines and highlights various facets of our salvation, all the different things that we are blessed with because of Christ, and yet scattered throughout, punctuated throughout, is this phrase, to the praise of his glory. It's as if Paul is saying, yes, what Jesus has done for you is amazing, but remember, you're not the goal of salvation. God's glory is the goal. He died for you. He resurrected you so that you might be used for his glory, so that you might amplify God's glory, so that you might pursue God's glory. That's the ultimate aim of the gospel. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking that's kind of selfish isn't it so you're telling me jeff that god did all this for us so that we might do this for him so that we might live for his name and his kingdom and his glory that seems a little self-serving it's kind of like he scratches our back and now we have to scratch his right I think that objection is true if it applies to anyone in this world except for God. For example, if I were to make that claim on you, let's say I somehow redeemed you and laid down my life for you, and then after that, I tell you for the rest of your life, you need to live for my glory. If I were to do that, I would be selfish. I would be narcissistic. Why? Because if you spent the rest of your life serving me and following me, that's gonna diminish you. Your life is gonna shrink. Because after a couple days or so, you're gonna quickly realize, dude, this Jeff guy is not who I thought he would be. He's kinda moody. He's short-tempered. He's kind of lazy here. If you dedicate your life living for my glory, it's going to end up with you just wasting your life away. And that is true not only of me, of course, but anyone else in this world. If you dedicate your life towards anyone's glory, even your kids, your life is going to diminish, and especially your kids. but God is different. He's unlike us. He is perfect in all his attributes. He is not just beautiful. He is beauty. He is not just wonderful. He is wonder. He is not just majestic. He is the essence of majesty. If you've ever stood in front of Niagara Falls and, and taken in, soaked in the Power and the majesty of those falls. If you ever looked over the edge of the Grand Canyon and saw just how wide and big it is, and you walk away, you walk away feeling what? Full, human, wow. You feel alive, right? Well, the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of these natural wonders is but a distant echo of God's own beauty, majesty, and wonder. With God, the more you explore, the deeper you become. The more you worship, the more whole you'll be. The more you love him, the more exhilarating the experience. You step into more. Your life expands, not shrinks. C.S. Lewis once said, quote, The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let Him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are all waiting for us in Him. In our Bibles, a lot of our translations, you look at the heading. You'll notice that there's little headings over different sections, and more often than not, the heading over Mark 8, 34, and so on, is the cost of discipleship. And it makes sense. Here, Jesus is showing us the cost of discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But if we really understood the significance of Jesus' words, if we really saw just how amazing and awe-inspiring our God is, the true heading should not be the cost of discipleship, but rather the opportunity of a lifetime. Where God is not making demands on us, but rather giving us an invitation. Where he's not wanting us to lose anything, but he's inviting us to gain everything. I wanna end by sharing a story that David Platt shares about his friend. His friend writes, my career has been a complete whirlwind in ways more successful than I ever anticipated it could be. I am paying more in taxes than I ever expected to make in a full year. I have been blessed. I was able to bring my wife home from work. We purchased our dream home in the exact neighborhood we always wanted to live. I purchased the BMW. I bought the big beach house. We went on great vacations. On top of all this, I was growing a business that I truly loved in an industry that I'm passionate about. But somehow something was missing from my life and I couldn't figure out what it was. I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. But through my pursuit of business and success, I somehow had replaced seeking the Lord with pursuing stuff and success. Then something happened last year that changed my life. I stood in a city dump in Honduras. I saw men, women, and children who were living in a dump where they scoured for food and shelter. Humbled by the reality of parents raising their kids in a dump, I reached my breaking point when I saw a woman eight months pregnant walk by me looking for food. I couldn't decide which was worse, the fact that the baby was conceived in a dump or that it was going to be born there. In the middle of the scene, God asked me, what are you going to do with what I have given you? How are you going to use your influence, your leadership, your resources in the world around you? Dear friends, let us not forget that the blessings God has given us are to be leveraged for his glory. Let us not forget that as Christ followers, we are giving ourselves to pursue God's glory and his kingdom rather than building our own. If you feel convicted and you want to explore how does God want to use me, and please can talk to me and the leaders of this church, we'd love to put our heads together and prayerfully consider how. God has called us to a cause greater than ourselves. And it is worth giving up everything for. Let's pray. Lord, how good you are to us. That we are not expected to prove our worth to you. We are not expected to show you how lovable we are but that you, while we were yet sinners, proved our worth to you. You showed us how valuable we are, how precious we are by giving your son. And Lord, as we see the the various ways this world tries to build identity, we see, oh Lord, through it, we see its folly. Lord, grant us wisdom to see that there is no life better than the life that seeks you and builds its life on you. Pray, Father, that you would convict, you would lead, you would use us to the praise of your glory. That not only by confession and faith is it clear that we belong to you, but also through our living. And so, Lord, you have blessed this church immensely. Now use us, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.